you want to do a sync clap? Just like one, two, three. It'll just make it easier for me to sync the three speeds. Yeah, you're recording now. Do it now. Let's do it now. Okay. Okay. All right, here we go. Three, two, one. Way to go, Mark. You didn't clap. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, you want me to clap? Yes, all three of us. Okay. Three, two, one. Perfect. (laughs) Close enough. Ish. It's ish. It's ish. Ish. We ready to roll here. Let's talk. Let's talk. Let's talk. Mark S. Dale is one of the more fascinating personalities in our industry. Over 25 years, he's directed more than 140 video game titles, including some very well-known franchises. Warhammer, Tropico, Need for Speed, Wallace and Gromit, The Witcher, and Tales of Monkey Island. He's an innovator who really pushes the technology envelope when it comes to casting and recording. Gillian and I had a rare in-person conversation with him at his London studio, OMUK, which he refers to as the Petri dish. Mark Estale, let's talk voiceover. (laughs) Let's do that. Yeah. And you're in the lab. We are in the lab. Yeah. It's a bit of a mad lab. It is a mad lab. Mm. Mark, when did we first meet? Do you even remember? Fuck knows. (laughs) (laughs) I have no idea. It's a few years ago, anyhow. So Interesting conversation that you and I were having just a minute ago about how you got into this because, Mark, hey, (laughs) look at the guitars. Are you a musician? No. (laughs) I'm a a play for myself. It's a meditation. It's, uh, you know, I ended up messing around with music which is fundamentally is to do with being with people and doing interesting creative stuff. I think musicians have, people have a degree of competence and can produce music. I doodle Mm -hmm. and from doodlings, sounds happen. Connecting those sounds is another art form. Right. I doodled all my life. Yeah. And I went to run a studio for a record company and I brought my doodle tapes. I would... Uh, get my mates into the studio. We would just experiment with stuff. It was the beginning of digital. All the music I was working with was kind of experimental, industrial stuff in the 70s and early 80s. And you were going out recording foundries and factories and noises. Right. And then making tape loops and running tape loops in the studio and experimenting with all that kind of stuff. You know, so the art of replacing sounds with other sounds was about cutting tape and doing all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. So my deal with the studio, they paid me fuck all, <laughs> was when I wasn't in session, I had free reign of the studio to do what I wanted. Mm-hmm. So I'd just record stuff and have friends around and some of the musicians I did, we'd just experiment with things. Mm-hmm. So I, I basically transitioned to a, another studio mm-hmm. with my tapes. And the owner of the record company went, I want to give you a deal. Yeah. And I went, great. And then suddenly it became work mm-hmm. and all the pleasure went out of it. And I went blind in the sense of, you know, I couldn't, there's no way I can mix my own stuff. It's like I can't direct myself as an actor. Right. So I'm on a journey as an actor yeah. right now. So I'm, in, I'm doing training right now. So, but yeah, we did a single and it was great. Let's have the album. And it was just like, nah, <laughs> nah. So it's too much like work and it doesn't come from the heart now of the, the weirdness of it. Mm-hmm. But I'm still planning 
So I've been building instruments and, you know, I bought interesting drums and things and just things that just got weird sounds. Mm -hmm. But the world has changed dramatically since my skill as an editor was with a razor blade. Razor blade, right. And then when digital came in, I got really into that early, we were mastering to Betamax and things like that back in the, that was in the, I think that was the early 80s when that all came in. Mm -hmm. Yep. Then my journey took me away from that. But I got into the whole music stuff. It was just farting about, mm-hmm. trying to break things, trying to do things that were interesting. You know, not you wouldn't call it music per se. But the thing is, is that, I mean, you produced. You've produced albums, you produced singles, you produced bands. Yeah. Well, I mean, you did. And so, yeah. you know, I've talked about this before. Actually, one time, you and I were at Buco de Beppo in... <laughs> Where? <laughs> what, what the fuck is that? Where is it? Well, it's this little place where they yeah. somewhere in LA. DB Cooper had organized something. Oh yeah, that'll be in yeah, that'll be in San Francisco. Yeah, so it's in San Francisco, right? So you and I were talking about this at mm. Buca de Beppo, which is the first time I knew you had anything to do with music. And you were talking about the band that you did and just how you were taking all these electronic pieces and parts and stuff and putting them together. And I just mm. remember listening to that, going, "This guy's a producer." Mm. And that's probably, I'm guessing, somehow how you got to doing what you're doing now. Yeah. Well, the thing is, I came from performance originally. So one of the things I got into was acting. Mm -hmm. But it wasn't really starting as acting. I was just a bored teenager on the street with a mate who used to sit and watch people, then mimic people. The game we played was copy somebody... Mm-hmm. and see how close you could get to them and, and copying all their mannerisms just walking down the street. And it was just hilarious. We got more and more outrageous, making it bigger and bigger. You know, and we would gather an audience. People would see us doing it, then just stop and watch. And the person we were mimicking was completely unaware of it. That was going to be my question. Like, like <laughs> People started coming up going, do me. <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> so it was, a, it was just arsing about. But we had so much fun doing it, and it was a real buzz from it. But it was, you know, I was 15 at the time. And then, yeah, we started doing a bit of sketch stuff, and and I just kind of loved it, and I thought I really wanted to be an actor, but I'm deeply dyslexic. Mm-hmm. I got thrown out of school at seven. Hmm. And it's a long, brutal history that goes behind that. And one of the things about acting was learning words mm-hmm. and scripts, and I just thought, I fucking can't do that. Are you able to learn and memorise without reading it? Like, just listening and memorising? No. Nah. No, interesting. No, nah, I can't even memorise what's in my own head. I'm an, an endless note-taker now, so I think on paper and on screens. But I love words. Being dyslexic gives me, a, I think, is a massive advantage in doing what I'm doing. Because in the studio, I've learnt that playing dumb is the best place to be. It's proven to be, mm-hmm. in a sense. I also get ill where I can't talk. Really? Yeah. I can't remember the name of the disease, but it's actually, <laughs> if I talk, I get stomach acid in my lungs, which would destroy my lungs. And so then physically, the ability to talk gets shut down, or you just... Yeah, so, so it becomes, on, I get in, into a state of uncontrolling coughing, because you basically your stomach acid is eating your lungs. My gosh. So it's potentially a very, very dangerous disease, but it's just a tiny thing so if it starts i start coughing that agitates it and it gets into a loop Mm. so fundamentally i can't talk Mm -hmm. so you know when i first got ill i was in the studio and i had to communicate completely non-verbally 
So that was a, a really interesting learning space too, because it was all about body language and communication. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And the studio was set up like a regular studio where the engineer is in the main position. Mm -hmm. And the director is at the back or somewhere else. You know, I'd prefer to be in the booth with the actor if I could, but I'm far too noisy. You know, um, <laughs> so the glass is a necessity. But then I realised having this level of intimacy where it's between you and I, and mm -hmm. it's about that trusting relationship. Mm -hmm. And one of the things about not being able to speak is then to be able to communicate. You know, I became Silent Bob. You know, all hand gestures, <laughs> things, gestures. But it became a, a really intimate way of directing. Mm -hmm. And that just the performances were coming out were just great. Yeah. And I just thought, okay, director, shut up. Mm -hmm. And in the studio, it's that whole sense of you want the performer to perform. We speak 9,000 words an hour. Mm -hmm. And sometimes, especially when you're doing the advertising stuff, you'll have a team of people just chatting away in the control room. The actor's doing nothing. Right. Right. Or then the director is talking, talking, talking. You're actually paying the actor the most mm -hmm. to do the performing. And the ratio between performance and chatter, mm -hmm. right. there's a tendency to be more talk here than in there. Yep. And just from the fact of being ill, observing that process... And going, okay, this is liberating the actor in certain ways. Mm -hmm. That was interesting. That is interesting. I've learned to just ask those straight questions. So rather than directing somebody, being in control, doing all that background work, it's being in the moment and going, mm -hmm. I don't understand this. Mm -hmm. So we work in the studio exactly like we are here now. Mm -hmm. We're all talking to each other. Mm -hmm. And what I do is have the writer in. I'll have currently those people on Zoom, which is horrible, but yeah. generally there's a group of people here. And the whole idea, this is a collaborative process. Mm -hmm. So there is no talk back button. Mm -hmm. It is always open. So you're coming into the studio space to do your part, but we're working as a team. Mm -hmm. And it's exploring together. So my default for directing is not talking to the actor, is talking with the writer or questioning the script in a sort of esoterical way or just going, ah, I don't really understand this. What do you think? And I go, mm -hmm. what do you think? You know, and joining mm -hmm. into a conversation mm -hmm. and letting the actor take from what has been said what they think is necessary. It's a non-pressure thing. But actually playing the dumb guy in the space you know, to ask the stupid questions is the liberator. It allows yeah. it allows the space for things to happen. And I think that was the thing when you, you mentioned earlier about record production and all that kind of stuff. It never came to where I wish I was doing it now because I know so much more. But the one thing I really noticed was having the studio as a liberating space was the most important factor of getting a great performance. It's like bands in rehearsal rooms mm -hmm. in their own space can produce magic and be fluid. Come into a studio, that's that level of stress. Right. Then you'll say, recording, that's another level of stress. Right. So I looked at everything down the line which actually liberated that space, mm -hmm. that stress. Mm -hmm. So, for instance, the space here is... A living room. Basically, yeah. It's a den. It's somewhere to come and feel at home and you want to relax in. You want to hang out in it mm -hmm. to feel safe. It's 
breaking down those barriers. Mm -hmm. So, for instance, the recording engineer is working like a recorder on film set. Mm -hmm. They're out of sight. It's all about the action. It's all about living in the fluid space. Mm -hmm. Without words into the moment of the game, they're absolutely in the game. It's about immersing them in the game. What do you mean by that, that you're immersing them in the moment of the game? How do you do that? The one thing that you need to be connected to is the game. You know, I always think artwork is a corpse. Animation is a zombie. An actor embodying the zombie, bringing it to life, is a fully realised character. Mm -hmm. So all of those elements are really powerful. Mm -hmm. So with the game developers, say they've been working on a game for five years, if you're not cast early, you're dealing with a team of people who have got a voice in their head. Mm -hmm. And every single person will have a different voice yep. in their head. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So you're competing against that. Absolutely. One of the phrases we use always is fuck yeah. Casting is about fuck yeah. Yeah. It's just like, yes, that character is fully alive within the orchestra of the ensemble. Mm -hmm. And if you cast early and the developer's gone fuck yeah, there is no doubt whatsoever about the character. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. There's clarity at that point. And then you can move that character in different directions. You may even want to recast it mm -hmm. because it doesn't quite work within the context of the world. Right. But what you have is a united vision early. And that is so powerful because mm -hmm. it, it influences the nuance of the writing. It influences the nuance of the animation. Every element is feeding each other. And by the time you come to record, you're already well ahead. And we want the actor engaged in that process in, within those discussions that we have with the developer. Mm -hmm. So they're part of that process mm -hmm. of developing a character. So because the culture is so strong for casting late, doing all the VO late in the development of the game. Yeah. How do you get people to buy on to, hey, we need to do this now? Scripts aren't even written a lot of times. Yeah, they don't. We don't need them to be written. Mm. You still buck up against the culture. Um, we are the culture. Those ideas are the seeds. You're bringing in a master of character in an actor, mm -hmm. somebody who knows how to interpret and to bring that character to life. Mm -hmm. You're bringing that level of craft and expertise into the team to weave magic within that team. You need to just talk about it like this and people go, oh, yeah. Right. So that, but, but that's the way we roll. The sausage factory of just churning it out at the end, hey, that is an opportunity to do magic beyond. Right. You know, so if we're working on a big AAA and they're just throwing everything at the end of us and I'm working with an indie with no money, we can so outperform, outclass mm -hmm. with so little. Absolutely. Simply because of the depth of engagement. Right. And that depth of engagement costs bugger all. But it's a human engagement in a process. And it's a creative journey you're embarking together. It makes a profound difference. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Well, and it, it makes use of what actors do and have early in a process. It makes so much sense now listening to you yeah. that for the writers to be able to hear the words while they're still in the process of making it all, but actually hearing a character yeah. must inform the writing aspect in such a more rich way. Yeah. We look at games that we've worked on that are ongoing franchises which is a really good example is a game called Vermintide, mm -hmm. which is a Warhammer 
game. Mm -hmm. And there are a bunch of player characters. And it's all about the interactions between those player characters. Mm -hmm. As soon as the actors came on board, the characters became fully alive. Mm -hmm. And over the years, each time we record, what the actors bring feeds the writing, feeds Mm -hmm. everything else, and feeds the humour and the humanity of everything. The way the dialogue works really interesting as well because it's not just straight dialogue. You're using buckets. Mm-hmm. So conversations are actually built up. So you're randomizing some of the responses? Yeah. But the way that the whole system here works is the actors are always working with each other in the booth in that random space. Mm-hmm. We're not ensembling it because ensemble won't work in the situation. Mm-hmm but they're always working off each other mm-hmm. and adjusting and everything becomes this fluid movement. So the cast is now mature. You know, the game is now six years on, mm-hmm. but the writing has become funnier and funnier and, you know, more nuanced. So are you doing playback? Here's just some random playback for you to respond to. Yeah, there's a thing called CDT. It's Creative Dialogue Tools. And fundamentally, what Creative Dialogue Tools does is connect any game asset to the script. Mm-hmm. So, for instance, you've got this script in front of you. Yes. You can see here. So you've got this bit of dialogue. And whatever's going on, it can be video. So you've got character scene, item, video. So anything visual is there. Mm. I don't need to explain that conversation to you. You know where you are. Mm-hmm. We also have got... Um, the voices of the, the actors, uh, source that's if it's another language, spot effects, those are just, you know, things that may interrupt, like an explosion or a door slamming mm-hmm. or a sonic interruption. Then you have ambience, which is the ambient noise of the thing, and then music. So all those layers are available instantly. Mm-hmm. So what the CDT does is connect all the potential game assets mm-hmm. to the script So the actors in the movement. So this one is just this scene here is you're in a bar. This is Randall. He's talking to Elaine. Randall, you're talking to Elaine. Uh, Well, (laughs) she was there. She bought me a drink. What are you going to do? So, you know, you can just go in and act this straight away. But I've got the uh, Randall line straight here. So you can go off. I'm nervous since you're here. Mm, More like barracudas. Okay, good. Because I don't. So she's straight into, yeah. she's, she knows the scene, you know the level, you know right. everything. You're utterly connected. Yeah, this is fun. Exactly. And that is the response. You're entering the roller coaster. Yeah. So the actors are coming in just going, they just make choices and run. Yeah. You know, I was talking earlier to you about the neuroscience of this. This is where I'm super excited, but I can't really articulate mm-hmm. much of it now. When I first started doing game stuff. One of the things I really noticed was you'd be really diligent and give actors the script in advance and they will study it. When you can. Yeah, when you can. Right. You know, the actor will prepare and come in and do their thing with the context of the director who knew the background work and got the choices and all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. But then if you gave the actor a side they'd never seen before and said, just go... Oftentimes, their very first read, mm-hmm. it'd be just knock the ball out of the park. Mm-hmm. And I was going, what the fuck is going on here? Mm-hmm. So I never, ever give actors a script in advance. Mm-hmm. Never. Doesn't matter how intricate it is. There was this really 
profoundly personal, dark journey a character had gone on. There's this monologue, a long monologue. You know, and I thought, this is one to give in advance. But I didn't. I decided not to. And it hit it in one take. And by the end of it, we were all in tears. And the actor didn't know what was coming. Mm -hmm. They didn't know what the next sentence was. They didn't know what they were going to expose about themselves. Mm -hmm. It was profound. For us in the studio here, we're just going, fuck yeah. Mm -hmm. I think it's got something to do, when I listen to what you're saying, the element of discovery. And when the actor is allowed to discover in the moment, the reactions you're going to have are very fresh and real. They're not manipulated. When I first started experiencing this ability to just live in the moment, I was thinking about where in the real world does this kind of acting exist? In theatre, it's within improv. It's Mm -hmm. improv, right, exactly. But an improv is part of devising, part of, you Mm -hmm. know... Rules. Yeah. However, in the real world where that improvised space is happening is when somebody's working undercover. So if you've got a cop who's working undercover, they are acting, they're being somebody they're not, and they have to survive in the world, Mm -hmm. and their life is at stake. Mm -hmm. So that is improv extreme. Somebody from MI6 came down to the studio mm-hmm. and um, couldn't talk about anything, but then he said, I will take it, I will take it. <laughs> it was a silent session. But, but, it, but, but it, you know, what he said to me, he said, this is what we do, but for fun. Mm-hmm. And he said, I can't tell you anything, but I can take you on a journey. Mm-hmm. And, and, a, and a, an interesting journey unfolded after that. That thing about living in the moment, I was really curious about how can you cold read a script because somebody working undercover is total improvisation. Absolutely. Improvised theatre is improvisation. But having a script and reading it, how come that works cold? And I was really curious about that. Basically, our brain is so much faster than we think it is. The thinking, speaking part is a linear element that comes from insane complexity. Mm-hmm. But if you think of the connections in the brain that are happening and firing at all times, mm-hmm. if those connections were a ball of Christmas tree lights, mm-hmm. that ball of Christmas tree lights would be the size of the known universe. That is the complexity and the power and the speed of our brain. we coordinating everything at any one time. Mm-hmm. So you're trusting our humanity. The choices we make are always instant. Mm-hmm. You know, if you go out on a date, <laughs> you, you know, and you prepare things, you just fall over yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. But if you don't care and you're relaxed and you're yourself, you come out and it's enabling that to happen. There's a lot more depth to the neuroscience of it. One of the really exciting things that's happening in cognitive science is the merging of psychology, of neurology, of physiology mm-hmm. in their language and understanding. The connection between that and what's happening in the scientific world mm-hmm. about how the brain works mm-hmm. is so exciting. And the thing is, actors have known the essence of that and have created their own language about how we function because they're questioning how we function. Anybody who's studied acting or taught acting 
is looking about how do you become another character? Mm-hmm. How do we embody fully somebody we're not? Mm-hmm. And that's the essence of the heart of the craft of acting. But it's studying humanity from a creative point of mm-hmm. view, whereas the science, the cognitive world, is thinking about exactly the same subject from a scientific point of view. Mm-hmm. And those two worlds are converging. Mm-hmm. Rizzolatti, the Italian neurophysicist, discovered mirror neurons. And mirror neurons are those neurons that respond, I think, some 300 people or 3,000 people probably take me in a corner and beat me up for getting it wrong. <laughs> but but it, they are the things that they're our imagination. Mm-hmm. So if I tell you a, a story, you will have an emotional response mm-hmm. as if that was real. Right. I remember when I was at the Game On thing in LA and I talked about my fingers being broken. Oh, yeah, right. And the whole audience went, ah, you right. know what I mean? Right. Um, we learn from other people's experience. Absolutely. And that's why theatre is so wonderful. That's storytelling in it's itself. It's storytelling. Yes. The, the whole art of storytelling. Right, that's why we do it. It's our shared consciousness. Yeah. We're learning from your experience. Now science is beginning to go oh, there's all these connections. So you've got embodied cognition. You've got a thing called 4E cognition. We're not just a brain in a head. Mm-hmm. We're a brain in, in a body. Mm-hmm. It's that physical connection. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you get embodied acting. Mm-hmm. You know? So then you get transformative acting, which is taking it a step further. Or if you look into the relational stuff that Uta Hagen talks about, mm-hmm. you know, what is the relationship between you and an object or your environment? Really important. Mm-hmm. But... This 4E cognition is about our cognitive process is connected fully to the environment, not just the head, not just a body, but it is external as well as internal. Mm-hmm. So it's to do with spaces and containers. And containers is the thing I'm really interested in. That's when the new studio lab is going to be built, is looking at that research into containers. I can talk about this for hours and just go because um, <laughs> it, it, it's really interesting but the fundamental thing is it's about how to liberate mm-hmm. somebody in that moment for an actor coming into the space it's about being mm-hmm. one of the things i advise in auditions you can hear when somebody's crafted it and reread something first right and um, because you can hear somebody living in the moment yep you can hear when somebody's directed Mm-hmm. You can hear when an actor is stuck in front of a microphone. It's a cage. I am caged. Right. Mm-hmm. Because I keep moving off mic and you can hear it. That means it's a bad take. You will never give me a bad take. Mm-hmm. So when we're casting, what I recommend now is don't look at the sides. Mm-hmm. Look at the character. Mm-hmm. Yeah, think about the context of the character, who you are, what you are. Look at the context for the lines not the lines themselves then cold read the lines then press send without reviewing it listening back or anything if you fluff it stop start again mm-hmm. you know but keep that in and just give one take send it i like it <laughs> i like that whole idea because it's about coming at you're making a choice mm-hmm. so when i'm casting and having people in the studio when somebody have made a decision you have something tangible that you can flow with. Mm-hmm. And they've come in with a decision, you're throwing them into something and they're going with it. And then you can go, 
how about this? And they go, oh, different decision. Let's go that direction. Mm -hmm. That's what I'm looking for in casting. That's all. You know, actors are coming to the booth wanting to please me. Right. Right. And it's just dead. Yes. You know, it's that's never going to happen. Yeah. And it's what I call licking. <laughs> People want to lick you. You know, yeah. it's like a uh -uh, make a choice, yeah. run with it, mm -hmm. and let's play. They're entering the playground. They're being a child. Mm -hmm. And that is what training really gives people, that ability to play and to be safe mm -hmm. and have confidence. We get actors bouncing into auditions and it's just like, OK, let's play. It's always a learning experience. Mm -hmm. And the less invested in trying to please yeah. mm -hmm. and the more they're embedded in being, mm -hmm. the better chance they have. And the tough thing is, it's the, the actors who are really experienced know that yeah but that's why we have these agent sessions mm -hmm. where the agent comes and sits in here and we'll discuss everything and do the same thing as if i were directing a session open mic just mess around here's a scene i go through these scenes here with the actor throw them about and introduce them to it and this is basically what i call a no risk session so we have a very strict score system mm -hmm. four is on the nose mm -hmm. Zero is what the fuck. Right. So fuck yeah to what the fuck. Yeah. <laughs> so so one is I don't give a fuck. <laughs> no. Two is uh, could give a fuck. Give a fuck. Uh, three is three is fucking pretty good. <laughs> yeah. The four levels. Yeah, we could we could we could have the fuck scale. Right. Yeah, we haven't thought of that, but I think I think actually Maybe. do do that having the fuck scale. The Rand, the Randall Ryan fuck scale. That's what we're going to call it. Four levels of fuckery. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so basically we we'll zone people. Right. To start with, so it won't go into refined. This will be a 3-4. Yeah. Or a two three, or a one two, yeah. or a zero one, kind of on their first thing. That is meaningless, because what happens? You're dropping somebody into the playground mm -hmm. for the first time, and they're going, "Do I like this? Do I want this? Do I embrace this?" Mm -hmm. Then they go away and they think about it. Mm -hmm. And if they want to come back, they'll be a different person. Mm -hmm. So when you're casting with this. When you're doing things like that, is that either you're already thinking about casting them and so these are like callback auditions? Because you probably can't do that with everybody, right? Unless you have a really small number of people that you're calling from. We get people to self-tape. Yeah. The casting sides are really important. Right, of course. Because that score system exists. We have a thing called the casting matrix. I think I can bring up a matrix for you, which is terrifying because it's another sheet. Yeah. Yeah, Google Sheets is wonderful as well. You realize this visual stuff is great for a podcast. Yeah, that's no, perfect for a podcast. But if it's fundamentally... So this is um, a casting sheet. This is sanitised so you don't see all the actors on it. Fundamentally, you get their scores. Our casting briefs are really precise. Mm -hmm. And within it, there is a description of how to submit, mm -hmm. what to submit. Mm -hmm. You know, So we'll say things like, don't slate your sample. Right. So if an actor slates the sample... They don't get listened to, they go straight in the I've bin. I've told so many people that exact thing. Thank you for saying that. Well, the thing is, if somebody can't follow instructions when they want a job, mm -hmm. how the fuck are they going to listen when they're on the job? 100% agree. Mm -hmm. So there are details within the casting submission which adhere to or be damned. And the other thing is, so the way we look at the casting is each actor, if they're going to submit for multiple roles... Their best 
score is going to be the average. So if they submit for one role and nail it, they've got top score. Yeah. Yeah, we've got some down here that submitted for a couple of roles. Mm-hmm. They've nailed one, but they submitted for mm-hmm. three. Mm-hmm. And they're, they're off, off the scale down here. There were four for one role, but they wouldn't be considered for that role. Or they wouldn't be the top choices for that role because their average was lower. And the reason we do this is, one, it's about self-awareness. It's also about production awareness. So when you submit, it takes at least 20 minutes to listen through to a sample. And oftentimes when we're in casting, three people will listen to that sample and make notes. That takes time. Mm -hmm. If you're carpet bonding, want to be hopeful, and you'll say, oh, I'll go for this one. You're wasting our time. Mm. You may be brilliant and be able to nail them all, but get through your door on one is all you need to do because we can play once you're in production. Okay, so let me give you a little devil's advocate on that. Yeah. So unless you are doing one-to-one casting, one actor, one part, one part, one actor, even if you're submitting for roles that maybe you don't get, if you're submitting for something that you have no business submitting for, that's a faux pas. But you submit for that one role that, as you said, you nail. And then maybe you submit for a couple others like, they're okay. They're average. They would work if we had to work with them. Isn't there something positive to that if you are having to say, they're going to get that main role of Rose. This actor is just perfect for Rose. I can give them two other roles. I can give them an NPC. I can give them maid number eight. That's my decision, not yours. It's a production decision. So this is about getting through the door. Mm -hmm. You do a self-submission. Submit your best. Right. Because then if we don't know you, we'll call you in and then we'll we'll mess with you. We'll send you on a roller coaster. So we'll play around with that character because we want to see about adjustment. The self-tape tells you nothing. Some self-tapes, whether that actor can really do it, especially if it's someone you don't know, it may have taken hours of crafting and all that kind of stuff. Yep. So it's saying, yeah, this works, but I want to see it work under production conditions. Yep. If we don't know the actor, mm-hmm. then we'll bring them into the studio, put them into production conditions. And during that exploration, we will explore other characters. Well, this is something you can do because of what you said, where you are getting casting done early. That gives you that luxury of that. But it's always pushing that casting time. Having casting time is, casting is king, is everything. Yeah, it is. We cast wide all the time. Mm -hmm. So probably the casting backlog is about a thousand actors right now. Within productions, we've got all these samples. So Zach here and Nat are going through those, building the database, Mm -hmm. So which is the matrix here, Mm -hmm. which is scored. So every sample gets a score. Mm -hmm. And the average score is the actor's in-through-the-door score. Mm -hmm. So if they come in, they cast, they go, that is the role I want. If the actor's undecided because they're so brilliant, Mm -hmm. just get them to make one choice. That is the message. Make a choice. Mm -hmm. Because if it's good, we will call you back for other stuff anyhow, even if you don't get the role. So this is statistics. Mm -hmm. And this also gives us statistics about the agent. And every statistic tells a story. Mm-hmm. So the average score from the actors then becomes the average scores for the agents. Mm-hmm. So we basically expect agents to do a lot of the work for us. Right. In a sense, so we will send the briefs to the agent. Yep. And if the agent is really hot, they know their talent and they go, he'll be good for this role. Right. Or she'll be great for this one. And they will send specific actors 
And they don't give you 10 to show that they've got a bunch, which is which happens a lot. Yeah. So some of our agents will just send us three samples. Right. Mm-hmm. And they all go bang, bang, bang. They're in the bag. Mm-hmm. Oh, nice agent. Good. Saved us time. Mm-hmm. And others will get all the briefs come in. They just put it onto their website for any actor to put in whatever they want. Yep. And they just pipe it right. all to us and we'll get mm-hmm. 100 submissions. Absolutely. Do we want to work with that agent? Do you know the production cost of dealing with that and wading through that? Mm-hmm. And some of those samples will be shocking. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So having the agents in here for these agent sessions, Mm -hmm. we talk about this thing. Mm -hmm. And so we're evaluating the agent as well as the actor. And if we get carpet bombed, okay, they don't understand production and they're not putting their best foot forward. They're just being hopeful and hoping something will stick in there. And that that ain't good practice. Right. We don't want to work with those agents who carpet bomb because it is wasting our time. Mm -hmm. It is making them look really crap. The data tells a story. Mm-hmm. So we know when an agent's carpet bombing and there's no filtering. Mm-hmm. Do you try to train the agent at all? Yeah, that's why we invite the agents down. So we've got two sessions this week with different agents. They're coming down from different agencies. You know, so oftentimes agents don't get to really know their crew, right. you know, the actors. So, you know, there's hundreds of actors on the book. Yep. And it's a real opportunity for the agent to get to know the talent, which they wouldn't normally get within a normal working day. And it's about us educating the agent, educating the actors. And that is the fundamental thing. And we find gems in doing that. Mm -hmm. So we have a massive database. Every single casting that comes through here goes onto a database. Mm. We have all the score and their average score over everything and the notes. Every sample that comes in is an asset for the database. Mm -hmm. So there's tens of thousands of the damn thing. My gosh, it's incredible that you have time. But it means it's all at the fingertips. Yeah. So for on a production side, you want that sense of know who you are as an actor. Yeah. Put your best foot forward, what you think you're great for. Okay, so let me ask you something else then. Go on. So let's just say you're pre-casting for a game. You've got a main role for something. Yeah. And an actor submits for that. Yeah. And they give you two different submissions for it that are radically different from one another. But they're making choices like, here's one way I could play it. Here's something else I could see. Or maybe the first one is, here's something that is absolutely in spec based on the brief. I have an idea on something else and I just want you to hear it. I mean, that's their thinking. They may not say that in the audition because they're just going to give you a couple of things. In your world, is that a positive? Is that a detriment? Could it be either? Um, In my world, I would say it's a detriment. Reason being? Uh, Make a choice. What if they have? They've made two choices. They make two choices. Choose between one of them. Run with it. (laughs) No, you know, what's your gut feel? Sometimes they may want to go off the brief. Fine. It is about conviction. Yeah. Conviction carries. Hmm. Okay. So if what they're doing is they're giving you one on the brief, even if they nail it, but what the reason they give you the second one is because this is a little bit off the brief, but this is what I feel. You would probably say, if you were the actor, give me the second one, don't give me the first. Correct? That's the dilemma. It's not a dilemma. It's just make a choice and run with it. You know, it's um, because... Once you start building an ensemble, we want the brief to be precise. Yep. What actors submit expose a brief. Mm-hmm. Because if actors are submitting wild shit, we've got something wrong with the brief. But with the brief, yes, there are choices to be made. Right. And you could go in different directions. And some actors will give me five variations, all of them wonderful. Mm-hmm. But again, that takes five times the time. It does. To do it, to review it. 
unless you hear one and you're like, I don't care what else they did, that's it. Yeah, we would never make that decision. So a self-submission is, that's interesting. Yep. All you need to do is pique my interest because the next stage is getting them in the booth and working with them. Mm -hmm. And then that is where the discussion opens up. Mm -hmm. It's just clarity of choice. Mm -hmm. It doesn't have to be to the brief. It can be, I've got this idea, I think this will be this, and give it. Because what you see is choice, momentum, life in the performance. It's there. Mm -hmm. And when something is fully alive and realised and vibrant, you're going, that's interesting. I want to go that way. Mm -hmm. What I'm looking for is talent to work with. Mm -hmm. As we said earlier, you know, there's 26 productions live right now. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not just that one role we're casting for. We're casting all the time. Mm -hmm. yeah, and yeah. if somebody's showing stuff that's interesting, that interesting gets flagged. Mm -hmm. It's part of the pool for all the productions. Mm -hmm. Oh, they may not be good for that role, but they'd be great for this one. Right. And that happens. Yeah, all the time. Yeah. People will submit stuff and you go, oh, that's such a great performance, but it's just not right. You know, mm -hmm. and it's not just about the performance. You're building an orchestra. You know, it's all about the group of actors. It's the ensemble that is what makes a piece work. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And you want different tones and textures, pitches. You want colour. It's mm -hmm. like an orchestra. If the orchestra was all fucking violins, it'd be dead. Right. right. It doesn't matter how virtuoso you are. Right. You're looking for different instruments to give you the thing. So casting is not about the brilliance of your performance for that one thing. It's about that performance in relationship to everything else. But a great performance will always be noted. Mm -hmm. And it'll go into that resource with the casting team. So a technical question then on the way that you're doing your thing. Go on. Somebody gives a great performance, but it's not what you're looking for on that brief. They are possibly going to be scored something like a two. But if it's a great performance, it wouldn't get a two. Okay. So even though know, it's like they're not going to get this role, you're still essentially saying by your scoring system, they got a three because even though it was a great performance, it's not what you're looking for in that role. Is that not how that would work? Yeah. But three is good. They can nail it. I see. You bring them in. They would bring them in and work them. How do you deal with people across the ocean? We don't do any remote recording. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Because it's all about this. Yeah. So people have to come here and record yeah. for any of your jobs. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, we won't remote. But the thing is, if it's one voice mm -hmm. in something, um, then fine. Mm -hmm. I did one production in lockdown with actors all over the world. Mm-hmm. We were shipping out the same equipment to everybody. But the most expensive thing about a recording studio is the room you sit in. Yeah. That's right. And That's the toughest. Basically, people in their cupboards, under duvets, whatever, yeah. will sound different. And the thing is, you've got a disconnect. Mm -hmm. The actor's dealing with the technical as well as performance. Yeah, yep. yeah. Mm -hmm. Some actors are massively technical. Yep. Some of the best ones don't know what the internet is. That is correct. You know, so it's mm -hmm. the technicalized side of it. It's always a compromise. It's always a loss. It's always a degradation of what you can do. Mm -hmm. So we made that in June last year. That's the way we roll. And we started mid-June, July last year, back into full production. Mm -hmm. Do people fly over for you? For doing stuff from the States. Yeah. Uh, there's just so many Americans over here now. Okay. But that was one of the things, like 50% of our productions are US. Uh -huh. And we're looking for um, studios to work with in the States right now. 
mm-hmm. but we want to be able to plug them into our way of working. You might have to go back and rebuild that studio again. <laughs> well, well, yeah, it's, 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 it still exists. No, I'm not going to go and do that. We want to do it in a partnership thing. So you're looking for a partner over there who can do something with the same type of setup and have the same relationship. But it's having a really great room to be able to do this. Mm-hmm. You know, this is fundamentally my playground. Right. Mm-hmm. And this, the research element of it I'm doing. Mm-hmm. You know, you're sitting in the Petri dish. Mm-hmm. Everything you do is noted. Yeah. And, and, it had, <laughs> and, it, and so, you know, why does that work? Why doesn't, you know, you know, I've done this for decades. Yeah. And it's like you notice patterns and you see things and you're going, okay, I'm going to change this. And I want to be able to take that further. Now I'm understanding more of the science. Mm-hmm. The science has caught up with the acting. So the dialogue is now current and live between the cognitive sciences and performance. And it is the most exciting. There's three great books on the subject. The one that really got me is a guy called Dick McCaw. He did a book called Training the Actor's Body. Mm. Originally, I thought the most important element in performance is one of the things I watch in casting is the physicality. Mm-hmm. So how an actor physically enters a character. Right. You can't do it with a 416 in front of you or a U87. Well, you can. but You but, can, but, but you're caged. You're mm-hmm, in a cage. Mm-hmm. You're doing this. Long time working with that. Yeah, yeah. You can do it wonderfully, animation, Every the common practice is to do it in a cage. Right, right. But when you release the beast, holy fuck, do you get something different? So another technical question. This mic, small capsule. Yeah. How are you getting the depth? Okay, it's a, it's a 4060, it's a DPA. Okay. But what's the technology that makes this give that bottom end, you know, all that stuff that's around 180 hertz that sometimes you're rolling off, but if it's not there and those harmonics aren't there, you lose that. Um, you're listening to a voice. For me, performance is a voice in an environment. Mm-hmm. So what we want is something that's natural and neutral. Yep. That is the focus. Yep. You know, every mic colors. Oh, absolutely. So, and you want a constant coloration. Mm-hmm. So there's a distance, the way the mic is placed and everything. We've researched this forever. And it's like working that mic where it is, mm-hmm. is like working at U87 at a meter. Mm-hmm. But you need a good room for it. Yep. That's another side of it. And so its polar pattern is a little more omni. It's, uh, yeah, it's on, they're omnis. So it's, I want a really natural sound to it. Mm-hmm. And the other thing is, the more performance capture you're doing, you've got mics attached to people. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And they're using these mics on the stage. Yeah. yeah. So the performance capture stage we're building is going to be just a very big sound studio. Mm-hmm. But it's going to be one that's going to have controllable acoustics because I want to put orchestras in there as well. You know, <laughs> so it's, but, it, but it's having that playground because when the new studio comes, to be able to connect all the different rooms and the different environments, that means we can do some really crazy shit. And the crazy shit is something that kind of tickles me. You realize you can't die because you've got a good 50 years worth of ideas oh, here. Oh, God, yeah. I know I can't die. <laughs> I've got to say. <laughs> but, it, but it's, um, yeah, 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 yeah. Your spirit of experimentation, I applaud, Mm. that you're constantly curious and experimenting to get to a more refined connection and truth. I really appreciate that. I I guess so. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, we only have one life. Mm -hmm. And it's like if we don't enjoy 
our craft and what we do mm-hmm. and can't be supportive in each other's shit. Right. What the fuck's the point? Yeah, I'm kind of <laughs> with you. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> I agree. I agree with you fully. <laughs> Randall? Gillian. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Sure. Thank you so much, Thank Mark. you for being here. Mark Estelle, it's <laughs> Thank fantastic. You. It's lovely to have you in, the, in our den, in the, in, the patri- in the Petri dish. Oh, my gosh. I already feel a little more moldy. <laughs> <laughs> my cells are dividing as we speak. I don't know. Maybe someone can pull Mark out of his shell someday, right? I really enjoy hearing his perspectives. and It's a joy to feel the passion that he's got for creativity and really just for our industry. Let's Talk VoiceOver is hosted by Gillian Brashear, actor, director, visionary, and me, Randall Ryan, owner of Hamsterball Studios, delivering the world's best talent virtually anywhere. And I can also be found at thevoicedirector.world. You got comments, questions, or just want to let us know what you think? Reach out at info at letstalkvoiceover.com. Find us at all your favorite places to get podcasts, iTunes, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Podbean. If there are podcasts, we're probably there. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk again real soon.